and welcome to this episode of the Horrible Things Podcast, a podcast where you can come and listen to murders. You can hear about disasters that happen because people are dumb, or you could hear about some I Survive stories. Today, we're doing none of those three things, which are usually the intro to my podcast, but just letting you guys know, I'm the host of this podcast. My name is Emma Sexton, and today I'm joined by Noelle Sexton, my sister, back again. What was the last episode you were on? A while ago. I don't remember what it was. I can't. I was trying to think what it was and I can't remember, but it was a while ago. I can't remember either. I don't know. But honestly, I have a terrible memory about those things. So what's up, guys? It's been a while. It's been two whole weeks since I've seen you last. If you follow me on the Instagram, did your chair just break? No, I thought it did. <laughs> I was so I hit, sure. I hit a metal I don't know, bucket thing. Yeah. Bucket. There's a bucket it's under a there. a lot of wires. I keep my cables in a bucket. And that's Cute. how you know that this is a very professional podcast. Yeah, but, but anyway, <laughs> um, it has been a whole two weeks since the last episode, which, as you know, was the Eric Listen interview, my favorite episode I've ever done so far. Super cool. Super fun. Um, it's been two weeks because if you follow the social media, you will know that I am now only uploading until quarantine breaks in Orange County, which seems like it's going to be a prolonged thing because um, if you've been paying attention to the news in the U.S., you know that Orange County isn't being the most intelligent county in California. So until quarantine breaks, it's only going to be two episodes a month um, just because it's hard to get guests. It's hard to have good audio quality. And I want to make sure I'm still putting out good content. Not to mention that it's in this time when it is like you open your phone in the morning and everything is just like, boom, the world is horrible. It's sometimes hard to look at more terrible things than are necessary when it's already being like shoved down your throat that the world is a bad place right now. Yes. <laughs> so um, that's also part of the reason just for mental health purposes. But mostly it's because it's really hard to get guests when everybody is like making sure that they're staying home at least all my friends all my normal guests are being very safe so just want to make sure you guys know the purposes of why we're only doing two a month it's for safety and for just making sure the podcast stays good on quality but anyway noelle how have you been good good well, yeah not doing much here and that's about it in life just not doing much nope yeah we've been we've been inside yes. even though I feel together like a lot. You, she's sick of me. She walked in today. She was like, "Let's get this done." I could tell by the look just, on your face. I'm tired. I played tennis this morning. <laughs> tennis really? is really hard. When you okay, so the first time I played, I was like, you know, I don't understand people complaining about tennis being that hard. It's not very difficult until you actually hit it and you start going back and forth and really actually playing tennis. It's super difficult. Tennis courts are big. And you're one person and it's hard. That's and so I'm just exhausted from tennis playing. I went running this morning and that was pretty tiring. I hate running. You hate running? I used to run. It's just not fun. There's nothing fun about it. I don't know. I think it's pretty fun. Like af the feeling after you run is fun. At during running, not very fun. Sure. After, I, feel, I feel satisfied after I run, but then that's about it. <laughs> and then I'm like, well, do I really want to, is it worth it to do it next time? And I would just prefer to play tennis, I guess. Yeah, I see that. I feel like my main other 
form of exercise these days has been skateboarding, which is a lot more fun than running. Yes. But probably not as good for me. No, probably not. Honestly, running's hard to beat in terms of like health. Running it just hurts always. That's true. I have super bad shin splints. That's why I don't like <laughs> running. It just injures you and it's just not fun. You know, I, that's true. It stresses me out a little bit. You know, you might be right about that. But I'm already in a routine. It's too late to back down now. So shin splints, here I come. Whatever. At this point, I don't care. Oh, also, I just realized I touched on this briefly but kind of forgot to mention. Today's episode is not one of the main three categories of stuff we usually do. It's very different today. And you know what? I think that's a good thing. We're going into new territories these days. And today's episode, I just want to give a warning, a little warning for anybody who might be listening, just letting you guys know we are going to be talking about a school shooting today. So just a little trigger warning here that if that's not something that you want to listen about or hear about, perfectly fine. Go listen to another episode. There's 52 at the point that this is coming out. So go check out a different episode because I totally understand. I mean, me personally, I have three very close friends who have all been in mass shootings and I completely understand not wanting to hear about it anymore. But yeah, today we're going to be actually covering the Virginia Tech school shooting. So if that's something you don't want to listen to, you don't have to. But Noelle, what do you know about the Virginia Tech school shooting? Um, Nothing. It was at Virginia Tech and that's about it. And don't know much. I don't think we've mentioned this before, but just for the people who don't know, our parents actually yes. went to Virginia Tech and they met at Virginia Tech. Mm-hmm. So it was kind of interesting researching this because I was like, Mom, Dad, what do you like? What what do you remember about when this happened? Like, what do you know about it? Because uh, obviously Virginia Tech is in Blacksburg, Virginia, and our dad lived in Blacksburg for like four years while he was going to college there. So this one in particular like hits home for our parents just because they were like it's horrifying to hear about something happening at a place that you called home for four years and not only that but like the places that you've been that you've had classes like one of the main buildings that uh the shooting actually occurred in norris is the engineering building at virginia tech our mom was an engineering major so she has lots of stories about being in there, going to classes there. And so she said it just really like hit home that something this awful can happen in a place that you have walked through a thousand times, you know? Yes. I didn't even know that, that it was in the engineering building. Yeah. She didn't tell me that. Yeah, it was. So what do you say? Should we get right into it? I have like seven to eight. I have like eight pages of notes. So we need to. (laughs) I said, oh God. (laughs) Okay. So. This shooting actually took place April 16th, 2007 in Blacksburg, Virginia. Our parents graduated in 1990, so obviously they weren't there at the time, thankfully, but April 16th, 2007, Blacksburg. So the first shootings of the day actually took place in the West Ambler Johnston dorm rooms, uh, which was a building. Virginia Tech campus is literally gigantic, so these dorm buildings are pretty spread out. So this the first shootings took place in West Ambler a building our mom was lived in actually <laughs> she lived in seriously? there seriously yeah she lived in west ambler her wow. freshman year um so the shooter actually went into the building he gained access between 6:45 and 7:30 a.m. because even though he didn't live in that building his key card allowed him to go in there because his mailbox was in the lobby of that building 
So the shooter's name was uh, Seng Hui Cho. He's 23 years old. He's an English major. And around 7.15 a.m., he enters the room of Emily J. Hishler. She's a freshman student at Virginia Tech, and he goes into her room. She's from Woodville, Virginia, 19 years old, same age as me, mm-hmm. and he shoots her, just basically point blank. He goes into her room and shoots her. And after hearing gunshots, one of the RAs, uh, Ryan Clark, goes to Emily's room, and he's like... Yeah trying to see what's going on obviously he heard something happen and he's pretty much the only one that goes to check it out so when he goes to see what happened in the room cho shoots and kills him and he was actually from uh georgia only 22 years old and emily actually was able to survive for three hours after being shot but nobody from the school this is messed up to me nobody survived for three hours yeah after being shot oh god Nobody from the school, the police, the hospital told her parents what had happened to her until after she was dead. Why? They just didn't inform them. How messed up is that? They didn't get to say their final goodbyes because they just didn't think to notify them. So basically, those were the first two murders of that day on April 16th. And after the first two murders, the police didn't think anything had gone on besides a double homicide. And actually, their first... They didn't have any suspects, so their first thought was that it was a domestic violence case and that it had been a murder-suicide on campus rather than... So they had no idea it was a shooting at this point. No idea it was a shooting. And they didn't send out an email or they didn't send out any notifications to the students about what had happened. The professors were all alerted but that there had been a double homicide, but it wasn't a school shooting at that point. It was a domestic violence case at that point, even though... These two weren't together. It wasn't a domestic violence case at all. And actually, I think the RA was really brave in going to see what happened. Because I'm I'm thinking about, like, my RAs. I would never, ever think that my RA would put their life in danger to go help me. Like, I'm not saying my RA was bad. It's just, like, that's above and beyond for what you're expected to do, obviously, if you think there's danger and you just run into it to help someone. Very brave. And so after the first two murders, the shooter goes back to his dorm room, which is like to the west of this dorm building where the shootings had occurred. He goes back to his dorm room, changes out of his clothes because they're all bloody, obviously, and he goes to the post office. And while he's at the post office, he has like this bundle of writings and videos where he's basically saying that the he's blaming other people. So he's saying like, you guys are the reason I did this. You put me in a corner. He's calling the students at Virginia Tech like bratty and snobs. And saying that they made him do it. And then he said that he was like Jesus Christ. So he actually had a history of mental illness. Uh This is not like the first time he's had an outbreak. But obviously it's the first to this degree. So he had been struggling with mental illness. And uh, he was basically blaming Virginia Tech. Saying that they didn't help him. And he was no longer getting therapy. Um, Some people suspected he may have been dealing with like an early forming case of schizophrenia but that's not proven Mm -hmm. and obviously doesn't not everyone with schizophrenia shoots up a school so he had mental health issues previously and i while i was researching this i was trying to think like what's the best way to tell this story and then i went online i was looking around and what did i find but three witness testimonies of people who were in the building that day on the shooting telling what happened to them what they had been through and what they experienced and i think that obviously this is a really sensitive topic 
school shootings are still very prevalent today. I mean, well, you're in high school and we had just last year at my, when I was in high school, we had like two lockdowns in that one year from possible threats of school shooters. Same thing this year. We had a, someone online on Twitter. Um, It was just, I, I don't think it was, they never, it was nothing ever happened, but there was a threat online. And so like half of the school didn't come because their parents were like, no, we're not going to chance it. Because I think the school sent something out saying there had been a threat, but nothing ever happened. But it was still scary to think that someone was willing to say that, to put that out there. Yeah. A girl I knew in junior year once was trying to make a joke on Instagram. And so she made a joke about doing, like committing a school shooting. First of all, not funny. She was an idiot, so there's that. But um, she made it like a quote-unquote joke. I say quote-unquote because it really was not funny. And um, the next day, the police literally showed up to her classroom and, like, took her away and were like, we have to question you about if this was a serious threat. Like, at least at the high school we I went to, she goes to, at least they, like, took it very seriously. Very seriously. And... So even though it was like scary to be in lockdown, it was good to know that yes, they were taking definitely. things seriously. And honestly, this case is one of the reasons that now schools take such precaution. It's like if someone gets murdered on campus, even if you don't think it's the beginning of a school shooting, send everyone home. Like that's how it is now. Mm-hmm. But that wasn't how it was in 2007 because school shootings really weren't that common. Yeah. Obviously, there was Columbine, but but after Columbine, there wasn't a series of school shootings like there's been mm-hmm. in recent years. So that's the reason that this guy who murdered two students on campus literally after the murder takes two hours and goes to the post office and changes his clothes and gets cleaned up. Because they had no idea. Because they had no idea. No one was looking for this kid. So I'm kind of in a long-winded way of saying this. I'm going to be telling the story from the perspectives and through the testimonies of three people who were actually in the building that day because I want to be sensitive and I want to show it as accurately as possible and not you know just like tell victim stories because I think it's honestly the best way to learn about something like this so the first guy we're going to talk about his name is Ishwar and he was a professor at Virginia Tech and basically he starts his day off normally he goes into his office in Norris Hall at 8 a.m he did that pretty much every single day And when he gets to his office, he gets a call alerting him that there had been a double homicide on campus, that two students were shot in their dorm. Mm. And he felt the police would take care of this, that it was just a double double homicide. So he stays in the building and his staff stays in the building. And at this point, uh, Sang-Hui Cho, I probably just butchered the pronunciation, I'm very sorry, uh, was still on campus. And students are showing up to Norris Hall, not realizing that there was a murder that morning because, like I said, the college hadn't sent out any alerts about anything. So the students, they hadn't said anything. No, they didn't know there was a murder on campus. So all the students are showing up to Norris Hall. And there's this kid named Derek, and he's one of the students who shows up for class in Norris Hall. He's sitting in his classroom about two rows back from the door. And... The first thing he noticed that seemed odd that day was that he saw a kid, which later ended up to be Cho, who showed up and like looked into the door, closed the door, walked away. And he was like, it wasn't that weird. People do that a lot in college if they're not sure if the room's open or something like that. 
But this kid came back and did that again, peeked in, closed the door, left. And it was about midway through the semester at this point. So people knew where their classes were. Yeah. And he's kind of confused because it seems a little bit odd. But at this time, nobody knows that Cho has used chains to lock the main exit of Norris Hall. And he also put a note on top of the chains saying that if somebody tried to open the door, a bomb would explode, which wasn't true. But he just put that as a precaution so nobody would try to open the door. Um, another kid who's also in the building at the time is named Colin. He's also in Norris Hall at the time. And when he's like sitting there, he's sitting in his class, normal day. All of a sudden, he hears loud bangs down the hall. And he thought at first that they were construction. But he remembered looking at his teacher. And when he saw his professor's face, he knew that something bad was happening. Because obviously, his professor knew about the devil homicide. So he hears the loud bangs. His professor freaks out and puts all the kids in the classroom in lockdown and asks somebody to call 911. Uh and the reason she did that is because Cho had started firing on the second floor of Norris Hall. The professor, like, locked the door and stuff, but there's glass doors. Like, a lot of these buildings, especially the offices, all have glass doors. So the first classroom that Cho goes into is the classroom of the guy Derek, who I'd mentioned earlier. Mm-hmm. He, who, the guy who Cho had looked into his room and he thought it was weird. He opens the door to Derek's classroom and he shoots the professor who dies on the spot. And then everyone started like scrambling because obviously they hadn't been put in a lockdown. They were the first classroom to be attacked. So like uh, it's been literally two hours since the first double homicide. And in that time, Cho had gotten together uh, chains, locks, a hammer, a knife. He had two handguns with 19, 10 to 15, 10 and 15 round magazines and he had 400 rounds of ammunition on him. Oh, God. And he had completely locked all the exits. Like, there was just no way out. And so Derek said that while this was happening, like, the scariest moment of his life, basically, is when he's making eye contact with Cho, and he just hears the sounds of gunshots going off because they're, like, sitting ducks in this room, and he's covering the door. And he recalls that Cho was only about six feet away from him, and his quote was, he said... There was an emptiness in his face and Derek just kept his eyes on the gun because he's mm-hmm. obviously panicking, basically staring down the barrel of a gun. Three seconds. He said he had like three seconds to react. This A bullet came out of the gun. Derek slid across the floor, tried to get under a desk and the bullet went straight through his arm. <gasps> and he's trying to scramble away and like put desks and stuff yeah. between them at that time. But after Cho had shot Derek initially, he went over to the other side of the classroom and he shot like every single person basically who was in that room. And when he eventually left their classroom after he shot 11 of the 12 people in there, he left their classroom and they heard more gunshots next to where their classroom was. So they knew that he was just going down the hall, going to different classrooms. Uh, For a moment, Cho headed toward Ishwar's office, the guy we talked about at first, the professor Uh who came in, and he was worrying about all his lab students because he hadn't sent anybody home for the day because he assumed that what they were dealing with was double homicide. So at that point, he's telling his lab students, don't tell anybody else to come in, hide. He calls his wife and tells her what's going on. And before he could get to the professor's offices, he goes into Colin's classroom Colin was actually the first person who called 911 when this was happening. I believe the call went in at 9.42 a.m. 
he is the first person who calls 911 and they get the call. And when Cho comes into the classroom, everyone goes to the ground. Colin's like looking around. He's trying to see what's going on. He still had 911 on the phone, but he talks about the fact that he just dropped the phone and he was trying to cover the sound of the operator because he didn't want anybody to know that he was on the phone with 911. Mm-hmm. Obviously, he didn't want to be targeted for that. So he's like trying to cover his phone. Everyone's being dead quiet. And what he sees is that the professor is the first one who shot and killed. And that's pretty much what he did in every classroom that he went to was he would first kill the professor and then move on to the students. And so the first thing that Colin noticed is that he could hear the clips changing. Uh-huh. Like he could hear when he was reloading the gun and he knew that he was seemed extremely familiar with the gun that he was using. So no one is saying anything. Everyone's trying to use a desk to for cover, but they couldn't cover everything, obviously. They were just trying to cover like their main organs. And so Colin eventually, as Cho is shooting everyone, he like uses his desk to cover his organs, but he's shot in the hip and he's shot in the leg and his femur shatters. For those Ow. of you who don't know, oh God. the femur is like the biggest bone in your body, pretty much, besides maybe your pelvis, right? Now we do no, know I this. Think your femur's the biggest. I'm pretty sure. Right. I knew a kid in elementary school who broke his femur and he was out of school for a month. Yeah, me too. I know someone who broke their femur and it was like, The whole year, they weren't really allowed to do a lot of physical stuff because that is painful and a long recovery. It's like the most painful thing you can break pretty much in your body. So his femur shatters because a bullet literally goes through his leg. And he said that he was expecting it to be like the worst pain in his life, but he was so in In shock shock and so hyped up on adrenaline that he didn't feel it. Like he just felt pressure in his hip and in his leg didn't feel that he got shot, didn't feel the breaking. He just saw that he was bleeding. And when he got shot, his phone slid out that had the operator still on the phone and the girl who was next to him like grabbed the phone and tried to hide it for him. Oh, good. And he also noticed that in his class, there was his friend Christina and he saw that she was also shot. And in the end, 16 out of the 17 kids in that room were shot. Did they all die or just were shot? No, just were shot. So in... In both Derek and Colin's room, one person every, had only one shot. person didn't get shot. So, like, literally, he was just standing at the doorway trying to hit everybody. Yeah. And even after he left the room, nobody moved. And, like, the same with in Derek's classroom. He says he remembers seeing, like, the gunpowder in the air. And he remembers there just being tons of blood everywhere. But he said that once he got over the initial shock of, like, literally being shot in the arm, he noticed that, like... He after he got over the shock, it was just survival mode. So he like put a belt around his arm and used it as a tourniquet to try to stop his bleeding. And then he called 911. Uh, He noticed that some of his classmates were like still mobile. So him and three other students went to the front of the classroom and they used they didn't have anything in the room that they could use to block the door. So they started holding the door shut themselves like literally standing in front of the door that's crazy yeah so derek and this girl caitlin who was also in the class with him are standing in front of the classroom door holding it shut caitlin had been shot in the hand and a bullet had grazed her head so she's literally bleeding out of her head and her arm that's a crazy thing to imagine to be shot and then not like oh let's get you some help but let's hold this door shut so that we don't get shot again 
I always wonder what kind of person I would be in the crisis. Yeah, someone who would can I stand be? there or who's like on the ground, just like I can't move. And like if you're on the ground, if you don't want to yeah. go up to the door, literally no blame on no. you. Because honestly, that would probably be me. It the amount of courage it must have taken to go up to that door and know and be like, if he tries to open the door, he might he's gonna kill the me door. first. Yeah. And if he does get through the door, I yeah, I'm the first one there. But to still do it after you've been shot yeah. is like so courageous it's so brave and so they go up and they start holding the door shut and two other students come up and try to help them hold the door shut Mm -hmm. and while they're standing there like a few seconds pass about like 30 seconds to a minute and then they see the door handle start to turn and he starts to panic because he's against the door and there's he knows what's going to happen if this guy gets in he starts to open the door and they see that it opens about six inches before they try to push it back Mm -hmm. and they see that it's cho again trying to get in trying to shoot them more and the he's trying to force the door open with his shoulder so at that point in time when he was actually hitting the door he couldn't shoot anything because he was trying to force it open with his shoulder and Derek and caitlin are kind of like silently communicating about like okay what are we going to do how are we going to do this they see through the door that he's wearing a vest that's just like strapped with ammo Mm -hmm. and weapons and he has like a leather jacket over it and they see that he eventually steps back and he fires three shots into the door but he's thankfully he didn't hit anybody the shots didn't hit caitlin derek any of the people helping hold the door and then they kind of like stood there for a little bit and then they heard gunshots down the hall so they knew that he was gone and honestly, by doing that, by holding the door closed, they saved several people. people's lives. I mean, some people were already shot and down, but probably a lot more people would have died. Yeah, definitely. If they hadn't been so brave to do that. So Especially because even after there was shots, they stood there. Like, to me, maybe I could think maybe I'd be like brave enough to go up to the door. I mean, I don't know, but maybe I would, but like... After you hear three shots coming through the door at you, I would just like panic. I feel like panic and just I could like I mean, I can't really imagine, but you can just feel your heart like drop. Like just be like, This is over. This is it. That's yeah. the scariest moments of your life. Standing there with someone too, being like, This is it for us. Yeah. And he describes that somebody else, one of the other students, was going around the room checking to see like if he could do anything to help people yeah. with their wounds and trying to see who is okay and it's just like how how do you have yeah. like the clear mind it's just very like life-saving they save Definitely. lives and so after he leaves Derek's classroom he then returns to Colin's classroom which is the room where he had shot 16 people already and Colin describes the way that he was moving around as methodical he came in and the kids who he had previously been standing by the door trying to shoot the kids from a distance. But this time he came in and he was going down the aisles of the desks and shooting kids point blank. Wow. When he got in there. So Colin pretended to be dead because he figured that was his best shot. And he didn't have to make eye contact. He was just sitting on the ground pretending to be dead. And all he saw was his shoes. He said it was the most scared he'd ever been. And while he was laying on the ground, he was shot again twice. And he said that the way that he 
got through it was he just acted like a rag doll. He moved with the bullets and pretended to be dead, even when he got shot in the shoulder and in his back. He just that is so scary. went like a rag doll. Yeah. What if you? The How thing, could you not react? I know to a bullet. He didn't react. He That's, knew. He knew that if he had reacted, he would have been killed. That to me is pretty amazing. Like not not even just the person, but like our bodies being able to do that. Like you being able to have the power to be like, I'm not gonna move a muscle. Nothing. Yeah, adrenaline. Yeah, but sometimes I'm sitting here and I'll like, like you have a spasm, you freak out or something like that. Like not something you can necessarily control. And they're being shot. And he's like, I'm just gonna not move. Like, dude, if I stub insane. my toe, th- I can't I will, control like, myself. Yeah. yeah, I can't like handle it. I'm like hopping around, like, uh-huh. oh, bro, this guy, you're gets shot, shot and you're silent, doesn't move, nothing, nothing. That's crazy. He is like doing everything in his dude. That's the thing, humans. We have the survival instinct. Like, yeah. that's, a, well, that's I always, always think what about amazes me. People who live for like four weeks without food in a cave or people who lift cars off their children. It's like the amount of things that we can handle. Like those people that lift cars off their kids, like moms that lift cars off their kids, it is so much force on their bodies that they are ripping the muscle yeah. off their bone. And they don't even care. They don't even feel it because of the adrenaline and because of like, we're just like, I need to survive. I need this person to survive. And that's pretty amazing. Yeah. It's it pretty amazing. amazing. Yeah. And so at this point, there's SWAT outside of Norris. And I just want to say, it has only been eight minutes since the shooting started. Wow. Shootings, honestly, don't, they usually don't last a super long time mm-hmm. because you know, if you're going to be where a big group of people is, you're going to have multiple people calling 911. Sometimes they mess up, cough, cough, Stoneman Douglas when the police didn't go into the building but just stayed outside. Yes. Um, I actually met a survivor of that shooting. and Really? Yeah, he was really polite, really kind, and didn't seem to be letting what had happened to him, like, define his life. That's awesome. Yeah, he was really cool. Um, but... They're SWAT outside. It's been eight minutes. And the first professor I was talking about, Ishwar, he he starts talking about how, like, he's like, I wish the police had been inside the building, not outside the building. Mm-hmm. But what they didn't know is that the police were unsure if there was actually going to be a bomb when they broke open the oh, yeah. doors because they weren't 100% sure. So eventually, after the eight minutes are up, police actually got there pretty quick. I think they got there within, like, three minutes because That's they had fast. already been on campus for oh, the double homicide. Right. Um, but... After eight minutes, police finally enter the building and they're going through, they're like going through the halls, telling people to come out with their hands up. And uh, Ishwar just describes hearing the police shouting, like, I found two in the bathroom. I found two more. And he said there was just this sense of dread of realizing they were talking about people, dead students. Yeah. Who they had found. And when the police entered the building, Cho was still in Colin's classroom still going up and down the aisles, still shooting people. And he's looking out the window and he sees when the police come in. And Colin just assumed that he's standing there waiting for the police Mm -hmm. because he assumes he's going to try to fire at the police. In Derek's room, they start discussing what they should do. Like, what are they going to do? How are they going to get out of this? But 
everyone in Colin's room is playing dead if they aren't actually dead anyway. And so when the police come in, they just say, shoot her down, shoot her down. And that was at the time, at that time, like Colin realized that Cho had shot himself in the head. <gasps> didn't realize it, didn't hear it. Because but there was other shots he didn't notice. He had, yeah, he had shot himself in the head. And Colin was relieved that it's over. But when he got up, he started trying to tell the police like who was actually dead and who was alive, uh-huh. trying to get help for people because he said he saw other people, including like his some of his friends in the class that had a lot more blood on them than he did. Which another courageous action of being shot four to times, be, get help, shattered first. femur, and being like, go help that person. Mm-hmm. That's very courageous. And so he is like trying to tell the police who's dead and who's not. And he recalls hearing like the police being like a oh, green tag, yellow tag, black tag. And he said that when he heard the police saying black tag, he realized that a lot of his peers had died in that classroom. And at the end of the shooting, 33 people were dead and 23 were injured. 33, oh including Cho. So 32 students were dead Wow! in the span of 10 minutes. That's crazy. Yeah. Actually, in the Norris Hall, in the 10 minutes of the shooting, it was 30. And the first two oh, okay, yeah. had happened two hours earlier. But 23 people were also injured in the shooting. Um, Colin said that he remembers the shooting every single day. And that in his class, only five people actually survived oh, wow. being shot. And long. one of the things that he said in the interview, which really like got me, which is he said, it makes me wonder why them and not me. Like... Imagine, I can't imagine having to live not only with the fear of what had happened to you, but also the guilt of like knowing, knowing you lived and they don't, they didn't. Yeah, exactly. And it's all young people. It's college. It's all young people. And so Colin actually ended up returning and graduating from Virginia Tech, even oh, wow. after what had happened to him. Um, and after all was said and done, Cho had ended up firing 200 rounds in less than 10 minutes. Uh Professor Ishwar said that it's difficult. He realized in that moment that it's so difficult for even a group of people to overcome someone who has no fear and has nothing to lose. Yeah. And is armed. And in the end, five professors actually died from trying to protect their students, which, again, so much bravery. Um, I know just a little story from when I was in high school. We once had a lockdown. And I was in my physics professor's room uh, and he I just remember him saying, like, if what we're going to stack desks in front of the door. So we started like bringing over some desks and then he was like, there's a there was a back door in the classroom that we we're in. Like there was the one front door, but then there was also a back door. So he said, if someone tries to start to trying to break open the door, I want you guys to start running out the back door. And he and then he said, and if I have to, I'll just tackle the guy because I would rather wow. get shot than let any of you guys get shot. Yeah. Teachers are pretty awesome. And I was like, wow, we really do underpay these people that would risk yes. their lives for us. Because yeah. I, I have no doubt in my mind that almost every single teacher that I've had, like regardless of if I thought they were a good teacher or not, I think they would risk yeah, their lives to save too. their students. Yeah, there's not one of my teachers I would say, even if I hated them and I was and they hated me, there's no way any of those people would not protect me because I know that they just would because that's who they would be. 
Yeah. And pretty it's pretty awesome. And it's almost it's so sad that now you have to think of like it's almost a requirement to be a teacher is to be able to yeah. think about what you would do if somebody was trying to shoot you. And that is just terrible. Yeah. I mean, like, we can talk my my other teacher who I had once during a lockdown was like talking about how you know, sometimes they'll say, like, stay on campus, run in zigzags. I don't know necessarily in other countries what the culture is like surrounding school shootings, but in the U.S., it's very intense. So, like, we'll have um, assemblies where they tell you, like, if somebody's going across the campus, run in zigzags so they can't target you as well. Um, run out of enclosed spaces. If you're in the bathroom, stay there, get on top of the toilet yeah. Even if you have a kid that's out and gone to the bathroom, don't let don't anybody in. Door. Yeah, it's it's very intense. Yeah. So we, my teacher was like, yeah, they'll try to, they tell you all these things. But honestly, if something happens, run, run to, run far away if they're not near you. Run to your car, run until you're off school campus, get yeah. out of there. And it was just like a very at least for me, it was that moment of being like, oh, my gosh. I think in, I'm guessing, sixth or seventh grade in middle school, um, my favorite teacher I've ever had, Miss Driver, she, we did a, it wasn't even really part of, like, something we had to do because we've done drills with the whole school about school shootings, but it was in her class after the drill had already happened. She said, okay, if we're in my class, this is what's going to happen. And it was just scary to me knowing that she has thought in depth about how she would protect us. And she said, um, she said, if there is one person at the back, at the front door, you're all going to go and run out the window. But we didn't have like a normal classroom. Um, so it was a portable and we were at the end. So she said, but I know there's also the choice. There's also the possibility there could be two school shooters or that the shooter, once they've realized the door is locked, they're going to come around the back, which is easy. She said, so if in that case, I am going to look, I'm going to check, I'm going to go around and try and fight them however I can. If they're at the back and I know they could get around to the front, uh, we're going to stack desks and all this. And she said, and our last resort, if there's nothing we can do to leave, she said, we're just going to fight like hell. She said, and she was like, there's nothing. She said, you grab whatever is heavy, you together work, you grab desks and you fight. And it was like, all of us were just silent because it was like, we none of us had really thought about the fact that we would have to fight this person. But she has thought about it, thought like, I am going to do everything possible to make sure none of you are hurt ever. And I mean, that's a scary thing to have to learn about, especially in so young at sixth grade. Yeah. Scary. I was in seventh grade, I think, when Sandy Hook shooting happened. Mm -hmm. And I remember like, I think for almost for me, it was like the the way people discuss or talk about having when they remember like 9-11 happening. Mm -hmm. That's how I felt about Sandy Hook. Like I can remember exactly where I was when I heard it on the radio in my dad's car. And I was like, what happened? And he was like, somebody went to an elementary school and they shot a bunch of kids. And I, I just remember at that moment, like I just felt like I lost all of my innocence because <laughs> I was just like, yeah. this is what is this world that we live in? And it was just so like kind of the first wake up call in a long series of then school shootings happening pretty frequently that I feel like Sandy Hook was when everyone 
like for every grade started talking about school shootings because after the Virginia Tech school shooting, that's when legislature like people started to legislate mm-hmm. what what do we do about school shootings and like it was it became serious after this shooting and obviously now it's extremely serious definitely what was i'm trying to think of the shooting that happened when i was in i think 7th or 8th grade maybe it was like parkland Is yeah that parkland. Was? parkland that's stoneman okay. douglas so. yes okay yeah. so i I remember me and some of my friends, it was uh, at 10 at every school. They were having, everyone was going to walk out of class and we were all going to like organize or something like that. And so I, me and two of my close friends decided that would be us who talked at this just gathering. And I didn't expect like a a lot of people to show up, but I thought if there's going to be people, might as well talk about the people who did die and sacrifice themselves in the shooting And it was crazy because at 10 o'clock, pretty much every single person who I knew or had ever seen at that school was there. And so at that big, if you can think in Mesa View, there's that little area of benches. It was completely full and it backed up to the building behind us. And there was probably about 500 people who were standing there. And I was kind of freaking out because I hadn't thought that this many people showed up, but it was it just showed me how much like other people, they realize that this is a thing. This is a big deal because this could happen to our school too. Yeah. And that to me was probably the scariest moment thinking this is a reality and everybody knows it. Yeah. And some of the, I mean, I didn't mention this, but some of the people who were injured too, uh, like I said, the shooting happened on the second story of a building and some of the people that were severely injured, it was because they had jumped out of the windows of the second store building get out of yeah that situation like people were injured not just from the shooting but from trying to get away from what was happening it's just pretty terrifying uh in the room that Derek was in only eight students survived uh, and he said that they survived because of a group effort because they Mm -hmm. stood against the door that's the only reason that they survived uh and at that point in time the Virginia Tech shooting was the deadliest mass shooting in the United States still to this day is the deadliest school shooting but no longer the deadliest mass shooting obviously because of the Pulse nightclub shooting in Orlando Florida uh where I believe 49 people were killed (sighs) but after this school shooting there was a statewide emergency called in Virginia in Virginia they literally like sent in troops Um, It was so impactful and so big in American culture like that this had happened that so the shooter, he was South Korean Mm -hmm. um, and even the South Korean government got together to discuss ramifications. Obviously, the fact that he committed a school shooting had nothing to do with the fact that he was Korean, um, but people were worried that it was going to cause others to start looking at Koreans Mm -hmm. differently. It really it didn't in a big way. Um, as it shouldn't kind of yeah that's kind of that would be really wrong to say to blame all South Koreans for the fact that one person had mental illness and happened to be South Korean but yeah it was so big that even the South Korean government was discussing what happened um 
And so in 2011, Virginia Tech was actually fined by the U.S. Department of Education because they didn't issue a warning to the students about the double homicide that had happened that morning. Uh, and in Virginia, now after the school shooting, it was it's now required that to get a gun, you have to pass a, a background check um, and that at the time, like you had to you could only buy one handgun every 30 days, but that's not a thing anymore. That got repealed in 2013 and uh you have to have a criminal background check for all firearms purchases and then basically it's like you after at the time of the shooting there was some legislation that they were trying to pass in virginia to allow people to carry firearms on public universities mm -hmm. um our parents told us that when they went there like students having trucks and having like a gun rack in the back of their truck where they would just put their guns wasn't unusual. Like people yeah. carried guns everywhere because it's the South, it's Virginia. And it's kind of a, it used to be like that. But obviously ap after this happened, they were like, absolutely not. Nobody, there's a general ban on all firearms on campus, even for people with concealed carry permits. So and that was because of the shooting yeah. that they didn't don't allow people to ca to carry guns on campus. Um, obviously, this was also big culturally. Like it was really one of the first times that people started to take school shooting seriously, besides mm -hmm. Columbine. Um, not just because of it was a school shooting, but because it was the deadliest mass shooting in American history for a long, long time. Yeah. And. They looked into reasons why Joe had done this, but at, in the end of it, they think it was just because he didn't get proper treatment for mental illness and because he probably already had, you know, obviously there's something wrong with him. Yeah. So there wasn't any, like, still, if you go and look, there's not a definitive reason that he committed the school shooting, you know, like... He had been bullied in his childhood, but there wasn't anything suggesting that something terrible had happened to him while he was at Virginia Tech, other than maybe not getting pr proper mental treatment. But again, that still happens. Like, I've never seen a college that had really good resources for students that need therapy. So that still is like that. But yeah, there's like no definitive reason that he's, that he did the school shooting, just it affected like just, everything, mm -hmm. everything. And obviously it's very, very tragic. Yes, very. <sighs> it really makes you think. It does. What are your thoughts on the case overall? I think it's very sad. It makes me sad and it, it makes me sad. And um, it just, I mean, it's scary to think about. It really is scary, but. I, I'm glad that there was um, better protocol put in place afterwards, that it it changed things for sure, but it's still tragic that it happened in the first place. Yeah. I remember last year, my friend, I won't, obviously I'm not going to say their name, but my friend was at this like little bar near uh, their college and somebody came in with a gun and started shooting in this little college bar. Mm -hmm. And they, like, got behind a table with a stranger and they started texting in this group chat that I was in, uh -huh. basically just saying, like, please pray for us. There's an active shooter in this building. Oh, People died in that bar. And 
just saying like I don't think I'm gonna get out of this and it was just like really obviously hit me like a ton of bricks that it's like it can happen to anyone and it can happen anywhere and I guarantee you that if you ask like not saying you should ask but if you look around so many people have been affected by mass shootings yeah so it's just and it's you can't really recover from it a lot of people have ptsd from being in that situation it's like less than 10 minutes changes your entire life yeah that is crazy to think but yeah school is not as safe as we would hope it is no if you're from another country, please feel free to DM me and let me know what it's like, the culture surrounding yeah. mass shootings there, because I would be super interested to know if this is, like, more intense in America, that we talk about it all the time and are super, like, making sure we're prepared for it. But I would be really interested to know what it's like in other countries that don't have as many school shootings or mass shootings. Um, I think that after talking about that extremely depressing topic it's time to move on to my favorite segment of the show happy things all right so at this point in the podcast we've just been extremely sad for a long period of time and you know what it's time to talk about some good things that are happening in our lives there may not be a lot but you know (laughs) trying to think we're gonna reach into the depths of our souls to find one singular positive thing i think i have one actually okay you go first then. i'll go first think about so harley um my boyfriend and i did you just break your chair again Uh, no i broke something else of yours i apologize but oops it's fine it'll be fine okay (laughs) i'm gonna leave that in (laughs) okay um so basically harley and i started watching west wing which was a really popular TV show in like the 90s, early 2000s. And it's so good. And basically, I'm just obsessed with that show right now. And it brings me joy to watch it. Also, I found out this morning, Legend of Korra is going to be on Netflix next month. And that just brings joy to my life and gives me something to look forward to. Also, Hamilton came out on Disney+. Plus. I don't have anything actually positive going on. So all my positive things revolve around like finding new stuff I like, which, you know, is a good thing. That's not the worst. It's not. It's not the worst. So I'm just excited that Legend of Korra is going to be on Netflix and that West Wing is a really great show. All my Avatar fans out there are probably also stoked about Legend of Korra. So. Lovely. You just gave me the most evil look. You just rolled your eyes at me. I did because that's all here. Are you an Avatar hater? I'm not a hater. No, not at all. I just haven't seen it and I'm being bullied into watching it. I don't think it's bullied. I think it's 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 a nudge in the right direction. Sure. It's a strong nudge in the correct direction. Okay. Okay. Well, let me think. Um, I think my happy thing is coming up with it on the spot. Here we go um you got your nose pierced oh yeah okay we'll do that i got my nose pierced two days ago which i have wanted for a very long time and that happened i think yeah that's a good thing i went with her it was terrifying it was fine i don't like needles and so she had a gigantic needle stuck through her face I'm not a little bit of a baby. You're a lot of a baby. You're right. Hey, hey. You're so right. <laughs> the needle is like three inches long. Yeah, but it was in my nose, so. I, it wasn't pleasant to look at. Well, you didn't have to see it. <laughs> I have to. I, okay. 
Well, for me, it was a happy thing. <laughs> for you, maybe not I so much. Had but to, I had to walk away after because I felt queasy yeah. from watching it go through your nose. Mine didn't even bleed, really. It was just a little, so it was fine. I, what The blood doesn't... Shut up. I don't find the blood freaky. I find the giant needle freaky. Well, if it didn't hurt, though, then what's so scary? I don't care if it hurt. Stuff shouldn't go through your body. It's just not right. That's just not true. Really? Yeah. Water. Shut up. <laughs> Water. What about when you have to get You're surgery? You're taking my happy things away from me. Nothing goes through your body when you have surgery. What about a scalpel through your skin, sir? Oh, yeah. And that's terrifying. <laughs> yeah, but it's for the better. I didn't say it wasn't for the better. I said it's freaky. Okay. Well, you don't be a surgeon and... Yeah, no problem there. Absolutely no problem there. I would be the world's worst surgeon. This is true. They would that ask me to true. sew somebody up and I'd be like, ooh. Do I have Grab to Grab me though? a sewing machine. Somebody get me some staples. That sounds God. easier. I, I've heard from my friend who's a doctor that they think that people who do staples are lazy. Yeah, I've heard that on Grey's Anatomy, <laughs> so... Oh, maybe it wasn't Monica. It maybe was it was Grey's Anatomy. Anatomy. <laughs> I'm a, I thought it was Monica, who's our friend, who's a nurse in Seattle. But no, maybe it was Grey's Anatomy. Great TV show, by the way, guys. Agreed. And on that note, I think it's time we bring this podcast episode to a close. I love you guys very much. I'm very appreciative for anybody who's listening to these episodes. I know that we're, we've gone down to two times a month, but we'll be back as soon as quarantine is lifted. For now, everybody just stay safe stay healthy, care about others, obviously treat people with kindness. I love everyone who listens to the podcast. I'm very thankful for you guys. And if you want to find the podcast on a day when it's not a Tuesday, you can go ahead and find us at Horrible Things Podcast on Instagram or on other social media platforms. That's where you can hear news updates when I let you guys know that there's only going to be two episodes a month. That's where I put it. So, um, if you want to send me a DM or chat, let me know what's going on. You can, uh, do that over horrible things podcast on instagram i'm pretty active on there um send me fun stuff send me your funniest posts send me the tiktoks you like i don't care send me anything i'm bored most days so um i'm very appreciative for you guys thank you so much for listening and i just want to say that it's really important to remember that even though there's just a lot of horrible things going on in the world right now there's also avatar on netflix and never become a surgeon if you hate needles but most importantly, guys, don't do horrible things.